Well, good morning. Kathy, you ready? He, he is risen indeed. Now, you jumped. I was going to say that first. <laughs> You've been waiting all week, though, right? Let's try one more time for Kathy. You ready? He is risen. Let's try one more time. He is risen. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad that's true? Man, what a great day we've had already in our first service over in the Life Center. I was just over there and here today. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to the Mount Airy family. Uh, or if you're a long-time member, thank you for coming to worship the risen Savior with us today. Hey, I've got a problem, and I need your help with it. Um, I'm sure somebody here probably can help me with this. It's amazing, yeah, it's amazing how many friends I got from the office to here when I brought this down. Uh, here's my problem. Uh, this was sitting in front of my office door last night. Now, yesterday morning I was in the office and this wasn't there. Then I come in last night because I always work on Saturday nights and I came in on last night and this was sitting in front of my door. So between yesterday morning and last night, somebody put this in front of my office door. Now, there was no name on it. There was no indication of who it was for. So I decided it must be for me. <laughs> and so I opened it up last night while I was here working. I opened it up and I just kept putting handfuls in. And just, You need to know this is my favorite candy. Uh, there's kind of a top three. This, Reese's, and Snickers. But my go-to candy is, is M&M's. You know, if I go to the store and I can't make up my mind between M&M's, Reese's, or Snickers, then this is my go-to candy. This is the one I go for. And so I'm just eating this and enjoying this greatly and thinking, oh, what, a, what a wonderful church I serve that somebody would bring me such a big thing of M&M's. And then it occurred to me, what if this isn't for me? You see, you need to understand that I share a door with Lori. You've got to go through her office to get to my office. And I was, I was sitting there with a mouthful of these. It occurred to me, what if somebody left these for Lori? I could just see the invitation in my, in, I mean, the, the conversation in my mind. Lori, I'm going to Sam's. You need me to get anything? Yeah, get me this big thing, M&M's. I got this party. Okay, I'll get it and I'll drop it at you during Saturday. You'll have it there on Monday. I don't know if that's the way it went or not, but I got another big handful and considered that as a possibility. <laughs> now, so here's how I need your help. If you left these for me, I need you to tell me so I can thank you. If you left these for Lori, I need you to keep a secret. Actually, believe it or not, these M&Ms have a lot to do with Easter. They really do. If, if I were to ask you today to describe Easter without using words, to describe Easter only using punctuation marks, what punctuation mark would you choose to describe Easter? Well, if you're a Christian, I bet I know which one you would choose. What would it be? Ex exclamation point, exactly. If you're a believer in Christ, if you're a Christian, uh, it, it's easy to describe Easter for you. It's an exclamation, part, uh, exclamation mark. But now, if you're, if you're not a religious person, Easter might be a period for you. You may not even believe in God or not sure if you believe in God, and it might be that Easter for you is a period. 
Jesus died, he was buried, period. It's all done. End of story. Or maybe Easter for you is a comma. It makes you stop and pause for just a brief second. You think about it for a moment, then you go on life as usual. Or maybe if you haven't been in church very much, Easter for you is just a massive question mark. Like, is it real? Question mark. Did, did he really rise from the dead? Question mark. Is there proof that, it, that there is a resurrection? Question mark. I want you to know something, by the way. If you're, if you're not a very religious person and, and for you Easter is a question mark, I just want you to know that the very first followers of Jesus had a lot of question marks too. They, they, they weren't sure about everything at the very first either. But there is one question that is what I call the bottom line question of Easter. The bottom line question of Easter is the same question I would ask about these M&Ms. The bottom line question is this. Is this really for me? That's what I asked last night. Is this really for me? And maybe that's a question that you would ask about Easter. Is this really for me? I mean, it's for all those religious people, right? It's for all those Christians and, and those good people, and, but, but that's not who you are. And, and so, is Easter really for you, or is it, or is it just for Christians and, and good people like that? But what if, what if Easter is, isn't just about Jesus, and what if Easter isn't just about an empty tomb? What if the resurrection is about you? What if Easter is more than just a demonstration that there is life after death? Uh, what if Easter is an invitation to a new life? Today I hope that God is going to do something in your life. If you're not a Jesus follower yet, I hope that God's going to do something in your life. I hope that he changes that period or that comma or that question mark to an exclamation mark today. And I want to show you how he can do that if you open God's word with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in the pew rack in front of you. And you can go to the, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Or you can look in the very front, the table of contents, and find Acts, and go to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is the same text we've been at for the last couple of weeks in this series, and we return back to the same sermon. Let me, again, set the context for those of you that this might be your first Sunday here. Acts chapter 2 is really the story, or the whole book of Acts is really the story of the New Testament church and how the good news or the gospel spread across the world and how the first churches were started. And in Acts chapter 2, what we really have is the first recorded sermon ever preached. Kind of a history book, and it's the first sermon ever preached. And, and here's what happened. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, 40 days later, he went back to heaven. The Bible calls it, he ascended into heaven. And then the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 to come dwell within the believers. That, that just as Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came to take up residence in the life of the believer. And from that day forward, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us from that day on. And that's one of the great hopes of the Christian faith, that the Holy Spirit lives in you and empowers you. And so all of that happened in Acts chapter 2. And, and in Acts chapter 2, people became real excited and they began to speak and praise the Lord in their own language. And there was a lot of different languages spoke that day. Lots of people from all over Jerusalem and from all over the world. And, 
And people were confused about what was going on. And so a man named Peter, an original follower of Jesus, stood up and preached the first sermon to explain what had just happened. And we pick up the sermon beginning in verse 22. Here's what he says. Men of Israel, listen to this. Now when he says listen to this, he's simply saying, what I'm about to tell you is very, very important. And so what I would say to you today is, would you please listen to this? I know that maybe you've got plans today. I know that you've got opportunities to go and do other things. And maybe this is your very first time here. But here's what I want to ask you to do. This is very, very important. It might even be life-changing. Would you listen to this? Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man. I'm just going to walk through this verse step by step. So let me pause right there. First thing that he says in this sermon, it's interesting, he starts off by talking about Jesus of Nazareth. That is, Jesus who lived in Nazareth. They were in Jerusalem. Nazareth was not that far away. They knew exactly where Nazareth was. And he declared, I want to talk to you about this man, this man named Jesus who lived not far away in Nazareth. Now, the reason that I think he emphasizes this man It's because he wanted his audience to understand he really was flesh and blood, just like you are. That he was not a myth. He was not some ghost who appeared human. He really was flesh and blood like you are. There was a man named Jesus. He lived in Nazareth. He was a man. He was flesh and blood like you. But, it says in verse 2, or verse 22, a man accredited by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. Yes, he was a man, but Peter says he was more than just a man. Through the signs and the miracles and wonders that he did, God demonstrated that this man was Messiah. This man was the one promised by God. This man was the one who came to be Savior of the world. He was Messiah. He was a man, but he was more than a man. He was God's Son. Verse 23, this man, there it is again, emphasizing his humanity. This man, who was more than the man who was also Messiah, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Now this is interesting because what he's going to say is, I need you to understand something about this man. The things that happened to him, and they were very much aware of what had happened to Jesus. He's saying the things that happened to him, God allowed it. The things that happened to him were were done by God's permission. God actually arranged this. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. God arranged all of this. And then look at the second part of verse 23. Get your pen ready. And you, would you underline the word you? You, speaking to the crowd... And you, with the help of wicked men, wicked men there is a reference to the Roman soldiers, Gentiles, you Jews with the help of the Gentiles, you Jews with the help of the Roman soldiers, here's what you did. Watch this. This man was handed over to God's set purpose for knowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Underline, put him to death. You put him to death. 
You know what Peter was saying? Here's how he started his sermon. There was a man, his name was Jesus. Through the signs and wonders and miracles, God showed that he was more than a man. He was a Messiah. And guess what? You murdered the Messiah. That's a good sermon introduction, right? That kind of gets your attention. You murdered the Messiah. You executed the one that we've waited so long for. Now normally that would be a sad and tragic end to the story. But thankfully, there is a verse 24 that comes after verse 23. And in verse 24, here's what it says. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Would you underline this phrase, but God raised him from the dead. You need to understand something. Jesus didn't just wake up on his own. Dead people don't do that. Did you hear me? Dead people don't wake up on their own. Dead people are what? Dead. Jesus was as dead as anybody you've ever seen in a coffin. His body was as lifeless as anybody you've ever seen at a funeral. Jesus was dead. His body was lifeless. There was nothing there but an empty shell. And on that very first Easter Sunday, the power of God brought him back to life and raised him from the dead. Now, there's something that I want to make sure you get because it's found throughout the book of Acts and also throughout the New Testament. There's this double statement of what people did and what God did that is written throughout the book of Acts and again throughout the New Testament. It's kind of a central theme of the preaching of the New Testament, what the people did and what God did. Again and again, you'll see it. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. I I want you to see this. Uh, Go to chapter 3, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. Look in chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10 then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Chapter 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. Again, in chapter, one more time, chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, verse 39. Acts chapter 10, verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Oh, why do you suppose, everybody just look up here for a moment. Why do you suppose that that is kind of the theme that goes throughout the New Testament? Why was that the theme throughout their preaching again and again and again? You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. You nailed him to the cross. You nailed him to the tree, but God raised him from the dead. Why would that be such a key theme throughout the New Testament and throughout their messages? 
I think there's two reasons, two very strong points that you can find in that statement. And here's the first one. One of the reasons that this is emphasized over and over is because God wants to emphasize, that, or, or the writers want to emphasize, there is no power greater than God's power. There's no power greater than than God's power. The people did the most powerful and awful thing they could do to Jesus. They arranged for his murder. They did the most awful thing they could do to him, and God raised him from the dead. The most powerful army in the world at that time demonstrated their power by nailing Jesus to the cross. They demonstrated their power for the world to see. They did the most powerful thing they could do, and God raised him from the dead. You see, here's why that matters. You and I need to understand that God has a power that is greater than our power. Mankind did the worst thing they could do to Jesus. They exerted their power in a way that they thought that would silence Him forever. But God raised Him from the dead. You know why? Because God has a power that's greater than our power. You see, you may not have power to change your life, but I want you to know something. God has the power to change your life. Because His power is greater than our power. Romans chapter 8 verse 11, listen to it. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit that lives in you. The writer is simply saying, let me tell you something. The same power that brought Jesus from the dead is available to bring new life to you. There is a power that's greater than your power. Sometimes people say, I'd like to be a Christian, but I don't think I could live that life. You're exactly right. You can't. But there is a power that's greater than your power. There is one who is stronger than you are. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Why do we have hope? It is because I don't have to depend just on my power. There is a power greater than my power. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know something. Easter is an invitation. Easter is about God offering to rewrite your story. Romans 6.4 says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The same power that brought Jesus from the dead can help you to live a new life. That's the story of Easter. That's why it matters. Just think about this for a second. The resurrection really wasn't for Jesus. The empty tomb really wasn't for Jesus. He he could have stayed in heaven. The resurrection was for you. For all of your regrets, for all of your sins, for all that you've done wrong in life, for all the things that you can't make right in life, God says it's for you. Just as you are. Not some better version of you, not some improved version of you, but you. Sinful, stubborn, struggling you. Jesus died as a sacrifice for your sins on the cross, and, and God raised Him from the dead to show that your greatest enemy has been defeated. He has defeated death, hell, and the grave, because I want you to know something. There is a power that's greater than your power. And there is a power that's greater than any other power in the world. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to maybe put your faith in the one true God who has more power than any other power in the world? 
Romans 10 puts it this way, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart Jesus is Lord and and believe in your heart that God by his power raised him from the dead, that there is a power greater than your power, he says that's when you can experience salvation. Easter is an amazing story, but it's also an invitation to completely new life. But there's a second part in this statement that I want you to get. Remember it says, you crucified him, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Showing us, first of all, no power is greater than God's power. But secondly, it shows us something else. There is no person beyond God's grace. There is nobody beyond God's grace. I want you to go back to Acts chapter 2 with me. This is where I just love this part of the text. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the other apostles and brothers, What shall we do? What are we supposed to do? And here's what Peter said. It's too late for you. After what you've done, God wouldn't want anything to do with you. That's not what it says, is it? Do you understand who he's talking to? He's talking to people who still have blood on their hands. He's talking to people who shouted, crucify him. He's talking to people who stood at the foot of the cross and mocked Jesus. He's talking to people who, con- con- uh, who convinced Pilate to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to people who are guilty of literally killing the Messiah. And you think you've done too much? You think somehow you've disqualified yourself for the mercy and grace of God? Here's what Peter said to those people who were guilty who still have blood on their hands. Peter replied, repent. Yes, you're guilty. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you are guilty of murdering the Messiah. And Peter replied, repent. Be baptized, every one of you. Nobody's excluded. Nobody is disqualified. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. No person is beyond redemption. Even, watch this, even those who crucified Jesus. No person is beyond redemption. Listen, you may feel shackled by your sin and your circumstances. You may feel enslaved by something that has taken over your life and maybe even ruined your life. Uh, You may feel like you've, you've disqualified yourself for what God has to offer, but no person is beyond God's grace. You crucified him, God raised him from the dead, and now you can experience salvation. He said that to people who had crucified him. Now look at verse 40. Look at verse 40, chapter 2, verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't that amazing? About 3,000 people who were guilty. 3,000 people who were sinful, 3,000 people who had convinced Pilate to murder the Messiah, about 3,000 of them accepted the message that Peter was preaching. Their lives were changed. They experienced the power of God. They were radically saved and changed. Those 3,000 people are a testimony that nobody is disqualified. Nobody has sinned too much. There is hope for anybody. And it says that they accepted 
the message. You know what that means? It means more than that they accepted it as true, though it does mean that. It means more than, than they just accepted it, that what he said was right, though it means that. When it says that they accepted the message, it means this. They received it as good news for them. They accepted the gospel. They accepted Jesus as their Savior. Kind of like my M&M's. I don't know who put them there, but somebody thought about me. Or Lori. (laughs) I hope I haven't stolen. (laughs) Somebody thought about me and somebody bought these for me. They paid a price for them and probably something this big is a pretty big price. Somebody thought about me. Somebody bought these for me. Somebody provided these for me. And watch this. Don't miss this. I accepted them. I've been over. I picked them up. I took it into my office. I accepted them. Now here's what I could have done. Watch this. Here's what I could have done. If they were standing at my doorway, somebody thought of me, somebody bought it for me, somebody provided it for me, here's what I could have done. I could have just walked right on by last night. How foolish would that have been? I got M&M's outside my door. And then I could have walked right by it again this morning. Just left it there and walked right by it every day. Somebody's bought it for me. Somebody thought about me. Somebody wanted me to have it. But it really is not mine. I keep walking by it. I don't benefit from what they've given me. Unless... Unless I receive it, I accept it and enjoy it. And Jesus is like that for you. He, God thought about you and God cared about you and God provided something wonderful for you and God paid for it through the blood of His own Son. And you keep walking right by it. And it's not going to change your life. It's not going to mean anything to you. This will just be another Easter, unless. Unless you accept it as yours. Unless you receive it and say, Lord Jesus, I am guilty. I have sinned. And I believe the same power that brought you from the grave can give me new life. And so today, for the first time in my life, I accept it. I receive it. And I'm grateful for it. Will you be my Lord and be my Savior? Will you come into my life and make me a new person? I am guilty. But I believe that there is no power greater than your power, God. So could you give new life to me? And I know that I've sinned, and right now I'm involved in some stuff I shouldn't be involved in. But, but God, that preacher said nobody is disqualified. So God, would you give new life to me? God, would you give forgiveness to me? Could it be that Easter is for you? Resurrection wasn't for Jesus. It was for you. It was for me. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Every head bowed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody leave, nobody get up.
Nobody move around. Please. I know there are some people here today, and you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. I am in need of God changing my life, and I want God to change my life. But I don't have the power to change it. I need God to do it. Here's what you need to do. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Confessing with your mouth is just more than saying the words. Confessing with your mouth is declaring, I will make Jesus Lord of my life today. I'll make Him master of my life today. I'll surrender. I'll repent of my sin. I'm going to turn away from my sinful lifestyle and I'm going to turn to Him and trust in Him. That's what it means to repent and to declare Him to be Lord or Master. And if you're willing to do that today, believing that He died on the cross for your sin in your place, if you're willing to turn to Him and just trust in Him to do what you can't do, to save you and forgive you, and if you'd like to make that commitment today, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. The words have to come not from your mouth, but from your heart. Nothing magical about what I'm going to say. It has to be a message from your heart, not just from your mouth. But if you'd like to pray for the first time and receive Christ as your Savior, would you repeat this prayer after me from your heart? You're not praying to me, you're praying to Jesus. Would you repeat this prayer and pray to Him these words. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross in my place. Thank you for dying for my sin. I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. And I'm turning to you today and trusting only in you. I need a power that's greater than mine. I can't change my life. But I believe you can. By faith, I trust in you today. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Make me a new person. And I promise to live my life for you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen.